Good morning, everyone. So before I begin my sermon, I'd like to share my testimony with you. So for about the past year and a half, God had been really dealing with me on the call to preach. And, you know, that was a long time. And for the longest of time, I just kind of said, no, thank you. That's not really at all what I want to do. And but God really worked through me at camp, um, talking to the preachers and counselors and everybody and praying a lot. Um, I definitely knew God was calling me to preach, but like I said, it's definitely not what I wanted to do. But I also at camp gave a sermon on knowing the will of God. And that really, you know, crazy how that works, that I was the one that needed that message. And it really just helped me. And so I've given in to the call to preach, and it just feels great. And so that's what brings me here today. And so today I was thinking, Pastor called me and asked me if I could fill about 15 minutes for Camper Sunday. And so I started thinking about what I wanted to preach on, because like I said, I talked about knowing the will of God at camp, but I knew I should do something different, just the practice, making another sermon. I felt it would be good to do something. But I also wanted it to relate to camp, but relate to everyone else. I didn't want to just be talking to the 20 kids down up front. I wanted it to reach everyone. So through my regular devotions and prayer, I thought of revival. Because, of course, revival is the theme of camp. Uh, That's the whole reason you go to camp. It's not to eat great food and go down a water slide. You're there to get right with God and grow in your walk with God. And so, But revival is also something that everyone here is going through. It's, It's not something that happens the week after camp, the week during camp. It's something that goes on through your entire life. Because the way I see it, I'm not perfect. None of you are perfect. So if we come over here to this, this piano thing... Uh, this is perfect. So this is a nice, nice piece of wood with some strings in it. So that'll be God. That's perfect. That's heaven. That's everything good. And if we come back over here, we can consider this area close to perfect. This is, I mean, I can see it. I only have to take a couple steps over there. And if we come over here to the grand piano, um, we're getting a little farther from perfect. Um, you know, it'd take me a couple seconds to walk over there. But the way I see it, where I am it, I'd have to go out that door and drive down the brush to see how close we are to perfect. So I was really thinking, so since we're not perfect, of course everyone at some point in their time, God's going to get a hold of their heart and he's going to talk to them. He's going he's to show you what you need and you're going to have to make a decision. And now you can either take that decision and take a couple steps towards God and then you can do that for a week, week or two after camp. Or, and then you can go back into school, you can go back in your workplace and just simply fall right back. But that's not what God wants. And so revival is an ongoing life process. And so let's open in a word of prayer, please. Dearly Father God, we'd like to thank you for this great day. Thank you for this wonderful time that we can come together to share our testimonies and all the great times at camp. I pray that you'd be with me as we get ready to have a sermon on revival. I pray that you'd be with all of us through this time. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So that'll bring us to our first point on what exactly is revival. So What do people today think about when they hear the word revival? In today's world, revival is often viewed as jam-packed tents with upbeat preachers yelling about the word of God. When the preacher finishes, he gives an invitation and almost everyone responds. People are crying and getting right with God. Now, there's not a single thing wrong with this form of revival, but we often tend to overlook the form of revival that's happening in our lives every single day. So, what's the definition of revival? From an earthly standpoint, revival is the improvement in the condition or strength of something. You can closely tie it to renewal. The author and preacher Andrew Murray once said, True revival means nothing less than a revolution, casting out the spirit of worldliness and selfishness and making God and his love triumph in our hearts and lives. So for this message, we will describe revival as both inward and outward changing of a believer, fueled by the power of God that changes a Christian's worldly sin into a desire 
to please, honor, and glorify God. Now, keep in mind, revival should not be a momentary change. It is a change that should forever impact your way of living. We do see several examples of revival throughout the Bible, one of them being Ezra when he stopped associating with things that compromised faith and had a new commitment to God's word. So that brings us to who experiences revival. It's really an easy answer, and it's everyone. But you can't just stop at everyone. You have to say everyone who lets God revive them. So why is it everyone who lets God revive them and not just everyone? It's a simple answer, and it's in people's sin natures. People's sin natures don't just magically change and want to grow in faith and mature as Christians. Instead, it's God giving you the power to live a life that's pleasing to him. If you turn your Bibles to Colossians 1, we'll start there. In Colossians 1, starting in verse 26, going through 28, we read, Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Jesus Christ. So here we see that it's God in you. It's Jesus Christ living in you that's going to give you the power for revival. We'll, take a, we'll look at another scripture. Turn to John 6 and verse 63. So in John 6, 63, we read, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. So here when we see the word quickeneth, what that means is to give life or to revive. So we can read that as, it is the spirit that gives life. It is the spirit that revives. So we're kind of starting to see a familiar trend here, and that's it's God in you doing the work. So don't miss this. Revival, it starts and it ends with God. And that will lead us right into our second point, and that's how God works a revival in our hearts. So now turn with me to Nehemiah 2. We're going to be looking at verses 17 and 18. And we're going to be looking at three steps God uses to work a revival in our hearts. So starting in verse 17 of Nehemiah 2, we read, Then I said unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, and let us build up the walls of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. So I'm sure we're all familiar with the story of Nehemiah in Jerusalem. So he gets word of what's happened to Jerusalem and everything. And so he goes back, he gets king's permission to leave, and he goes and secretly inspects the wall. And so we don't know exactly how big Jerusalem was, but it's, it was a fairly big city. So a fairly big city means a big wall and... A big wall that's burned to the ground is a big task. And so you can imagine a lot of people thinking this is almost like an impossible task, that they can't do it. But along comes Nehemiah, and he has this idea that they're going to build the wall, and God's with him, and then the people rally behind him to do it. So the first thing God's going to do is he's going to reveal a truth to us. He's going to show us, now through his word, like he showed Nehemiah that he could build the walls, he's going to show us something that we should be doing or sin that we should not be, that we should um, stay away from. And the second thing God, God's going to do is he's going to live within us. In the early part of verse 18, Nehemiah talks about the hand of my God which was good upon me. So here we see that Nehemiah makes sure to emphasize that God is with him and inspires what he does. And so when we get saved, we are in Jesus and Jesus is in us. Is in, us. in 2 Timothy 1.14 we read, The good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. And there it is again. Everything we're going to do is through God in us. So this point leads right into the third point because since God's in us, the third thing is God's going to enable us to respond to the truth. 
So in the later part of verse 18, we see how all the people rally behind Nehemiah and agree to help build the walls. This is a visual representation of how God revives us. When we realize the truth and allow God to do the work and give us the strength, um, he helps us. He, everything starts to happen. In Nehemiah's case, he had a vision. He shared it with everyone. Of course, God was with him, and he did what God wanted, and then the people got behind him to help build the wall. In our case, God's going to show us something through his word that we need to do. He's going to be with us, but then it's, going to, it's not going to be the people there. It's going to be God behind us. He's going to help us build our wall, our spiritual wall. So just like in Colossians 1 and John 6, again, we see that it's God that gives us the strength that we need. In everything we do, we should get our strength from God. Over and over again in the Bible, we read how God's strength helps us. Philippians 4.13, Isaiah 40.29, Psalms 119.28, Ephesians 6.10, Isaiah 40.31, Psalms 46.1. All these verses have a common theme, and that is the strength that God gives us. The strength we get from God is always going to be the driving factor in a successful revival. So that's going to take us to point three, is the actions of a revival. If you turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 30, we will see five actions a believer will fulfill when going through a spiritual revival. The first action we see in verse 9. For if ye turn again unto the Lord, your brethren and your children shall find compassion before the, them that led them captive, so that they shall come again into this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful, and will not turn away his face from you if ye return unto him. So the first thing a believer in a revival will do is you will remember God's compassion. When it says, For if ye turn again unto the Lord, and if ye return to him, it is clearly talking about a revival-type act, where you turn from sin and start to follow God. Now, the most important part of this verse is at the end when it says, For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you. This is very important. No matter how far away you are from God, no matter where you are in your spiritual walk with God, he'll always take you back. He'll always have compassion on you if you just decide to come back to him. So when we're going through a spiritual revival, it's encouraging to remember that God still loves you and will have grace and mercy on you if you just come back to him. So the second action we read in verse 10. It says, So the post passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh and unto Zebulun, and they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. So the second thing you will do during a revival is you will keep going despite ridicule or mockery. People will make fun of you and label you in cruel ways if you're living a life pleasing to God. It's going to happen, but this can't stop you from living a good life. Once again, this is time when we must rely on God's strength. It's a time when you've got to draw near to God and get strength from him to overcome it. You can't Become weary in your walk with the Lord and just slip back in your revival. You have to keep living the decisions you've made. So the third action we read in verse 14. It says, And they arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and all the altars for incest took they away and cast them into the brook Kidron. So let's just slow down and take this one easy. You need to remove evil influences from your life. And this, this one's so simple to understand that you can almost just fly by it and miss its whole point. I purposely use small words so Christine could understand. Um, so you can't get freedom from a sin if you allow it to tempt you. It's really that easy. It's, you, you shouldn't almost need the Bible to tell you that. It's something you should think of on your own because Satan will tempt you. So why have the ability to be tempted? So if you want your revival to last, you must not allow a sin to creep back even after a considerable amount of time. Because at some point, it could be right after your revival or it could be years down the road. Satan will tempt you with that sin. But think about it. If you literally don't have the capability to do that sin, how well is Satan's attack going to work on you? Just for an example, if 
you were dealing with listening to the wrong kind of music and you took your stack of CDs and you threw them away, burned them in a fire, got rid of them. And then a month later, Satan comes along and tries to tempt you to listen to that music. Um, I don't know about you, but for me, that'd be kind of hard to listen to that music that I threw away a month ago. Um, and I get that we live in a world of technology and that it's really not that easy because you could throw your phone away, but that's costly and it's not practical to do. But you can delete your music, uh, block websites, you can delete certain apps. It's still possible to get rid of evil influences in your life. And that's the third thing you will do when going through a Bible. The fourth thing you will do, we see in verse 22. It says, And Hezekiah spake comfortably unto all the Levites that taught the good knowledge of the Lord. And they did eat throughout the feast seven days, offering peace offerings and making confession to the Lord God of their fathers. So the fourth thing you will do is you will confess your sins to God. This is a crucial step in the revival process. In 1 Chronicles 21.8, David says, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing, but now I beseech thee, do away the iniquity of thy servant. So here we see David realized a very important point, and that was confession must precede forgiveness. Oftentimes people overlook this. They, they just think it's not that important. They think God already knows, so I shouldn't have to confess my sin to him. But just remember 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I don't see why you should be afraid to confess your sins to God. After all, we've already looked at how merciful God is towards us. So you need to be taking everything to God during your revival. And then... The last thing, the fifth thing you will do, we see in chapter 31 in verses 3 through 8. It says, He appointed also the king's portions of his substance for burnt offerings, to wit, for morning and evening burnt offerings, and the burnt offerings for the Sabbath, and for the new moons, and for the set feasts, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Moreover, he commanded the people that dwelt in Jerusalem to give portion of the, pre of the priests and Levites, that they might be encouraged in the law of the Lord. And as soon as the commandment came abroad, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of corn, wine, oil, and honey, and the increase of the fields and the tithes of all things brought they in abundantly. And concerning children of Israel and Judah that dwelt in the cities of Judah, they also brought in the tithe of oxen and sheep and the tithes of holy things which were consecrated unto the Lord their God and laid them by heaps. In the third month they began to lay foundation of the heaps and finished them in the seventh month. And when Hezekiah and the princes came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. So the fifth thing you will do is you will contribute to God's work. So in this section we read about how the people tied to the church so that the priests and the Levites were free to do that the duties they needed to. And this is still a very important thing in the church today. And oftentimes people get confused with contributing to God's work. That's not necessarily just giving things a monetary value. This could be helping take care of a person in the church with needs. It could be giving your time to church maintenance. It is anything that you use your special skills and abilities to, to help the church as a whole. So if you're truly walking with Christ, your actions are going to show it. So it only makes sense that when going through revival, your main goal should be to please God. So make sure your actions are pleasing to God as well. So in review, the five things a believer will do when going through a Bible is they will remember God's compassion, keep going despite ridicule or mockery, you will get rid of the evil influences in your life, you will confess your sins to God, and you can contribute to God's work. So in, in conclusion, revival isn't something that comes easy, and once it happens, it's not just going to have effects throughout your life without having to try. The reality is that revival is only possible through God. It's God who lives in you and enables you to turn from your old sins and to follow him. In true revival, you will remember God's compassion, keep going despite ridicule or mockery, you'll remove evil influences from your life, you'll confess your sins to God, and you'll contribute to God's work. Revival is possible through the strength and amazing mercy of our God. Let's close in prayer.
Dear Heavenly Father God, we thank you again so much for this time today. I'd like to pray that you continue to bless our time together and pray that as we go out in this week that you'd help us to stay strong in all the decisions we made. They pray for the campers that as it's been a couple of weeks from camp, I hope everyone's still strong in their decisions and that they and that you'd give us all the strength to keep going. Pray that as we go into our workplaces and get ready to head back to school that the same would happen, that we'd stay strong in you, Lord. Um, we pray for safety as we leave here and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.